0: Welcome to the Grace Point Church podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. There seems to be a weird sickness uh, about our, our world and our culture where we have a love-hate relationship with the scammer. Okay, uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've been uh, uh, attempted to be scammed, okay? Uh, how many times has my Netflix account been cancelled? How many FedEx packages have I missed? Uh, you, you know, you get those, maybe you don't get those texts. I get the text, I get the emails, I get the robocalls, I get all that kind of stuff telling me that I'm missing out on so many things in life. But those scams that are out there and they're, 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 they're so common and prevalent. No one wants to be scammed, but somehow in our sick, demented minds, we love and are intrigued by the scammer. Uh, we kind of watch the scammer. We want to learn about the scammer. We want to, we watch documentaries on it. In fact, if, if you're looking for some good binge watching, uh, if you haven't seen WeWorks, uh, again, uh, you, you, use your own mind on that, whether or not you want to watch that or not. But it's an incredible, uh, miniseries on Hulu, Hulu. Uh, you got Fire Festival. You've got Inventing Anna. And then that, just this past month, or this month, uh, one on Madoff come out, it came out. The biggest Ponzi scheme ever. Why do I say that? Because there is this part of us, again, love-hate relationship, if you will, with, I don't want to be scammed, but I want to watch the scammer scam. I want to learn how the scammer scams. And so it's like, in in the midst of that, I don't know what, what to think about that, how to psychoanalyze that. But I want to talk today about the sultan of scam, the king, the prince of scams. I want to talk today about... The one who is after every one of us, and it's not gonna come in a text form, it might. It won't come in an email form, though it could. Uh, It will not come in you losing a bunch of money, though that absolutely could happen. Uh, But the reality is the scam that I speak of and the scammer that I speak of is an ongoing battle that you will be in for the rest of your life, and there's no safe place. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to create fear. Because there is hope, but we'll get there. But the reality is I want us to all wake up and realize that there's a scammer and that we are the, the, the thing, the product or the, the, the Ponzi or excuse me, the, 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 the prize at the end of the day. And no amount of, 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 of trying to even parent your kids out of it. It's going to be there even for the next generation. Um. You can't bubble wrap your kids enough. You can't uh, helicopter in and save them from the scammer. Uh, what you can do is find victory in your own life and then help your kids to find victory. It's like when the mask falls in the plane. You put your mask on first before you help somebody next to you. We're talking about, in this spiritual warfare conversation, Satan. And... Um, you want to know who Satan is. You want to know who the great scammer, slanderer, uh, adversary, schemer is. You only have to look throughout the all of Scriptures. There are 17 different names, titles, roles, leadership roles that Satan takes on in the Scriptures. Here's a laundry list of them. You can just pick out any one of those There's Scripture to back them, and you're looking at everything from top to bottom of the ways in which Satan is going to work himself into our narratives, into our lives, starting with the one that we started with in the series, The Adversary. That really sums it all up. But I mean, there's everything, the different components, and different nuances. But whenever you think about that there's somebody 24-7 who wants you, wants to destroy you, Wants to even take your life. It ought to at least awaken a sense in us that, hey, I want to have victory. I don't want, that's why I say this title of the series is victory when losing isn't an option. You don't want to lose this battle. And the great thing is, is I want to tell you today from the beginning to the end that you can be, live, walk in victory. Whenever you look at Ephesians, and we just have been studying in the book of Ephesians now, since uh, this past fall, and when you look at Ephesians, you can't miss—or you might miss—if you're not careful—that from chapter one, two, three, four, skip chapter five, and into chapter six, you have this constant conversation and awareness of this adversary in his roles and how he's trying to get at us. Ephesians chapter one—it opens with it in verse twenty. Verse twenty-one reminds us that Christ is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion above every name that is named not only in this age, but in the one to come. So we're talking about powers and authorities and dominions. You'll see this further explained here in just a moment because you might think, hey, well, that's Russia or that's that's some other country out there. <laughs> it's, it's far beyond that. It's not a geopolitical system that we know of today, but it is something even deeper and darker. If you look at chapter two, again, chapter one mentions it. chapter two, it literally opens with it in verse two. It says, now here, I want you to notice this. I want us to read this. You once walked, you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in, Sons of disobedience. Now, I want you to just hang on to that phrase for just a moment. If you remember from week one, we talked about the enemy's trifecta. Whenever the trifecta is at work, it can we can fall at any one of these elements, but I want you to see that Satan, uh, the infernal enemy, the external enemy, the world systems in which we live, and then you have the internal enemy of ourselves. Now let's go back to that verse. And you see all three of them in this one verse. You once walked. That's you. That's self. That was the way you chose to walk. We all chose to walk that way. Following the course of this world. Again, we live in a world that does not recognize Jesus. Does not want us to follow Jesus. That is opposed to the light. Can't even comprehend the light, John said. Following the prince. Of the power of the air. So I want you to understand when we're talking about Satan, when we're talking about the devil, we're not talking about some low-ranking individual. He's a prince. In in Daniel chapter 10, it refers to the prince of Persia. So you're going to find throughout the scriptures the recognition of this. But here's what victory looks like that you may be able to stand that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We talked about standing last week as the, the ultimate goal of victory is that you would be able to stand and be able to endure and be able to persevere and to maintain and endure to the very end. That is what victory looks like. I want to, I want to point out that, that we're fighting against something here. And that something are the schemes of the devil. We're, we're trying to stand against the schemes. It's the Greek word, methodea, methodea, that means where we get our English word method. It's only used two times in all the New Testament. And it's the word we get method from. So literally, we, we are trying to stand against the schemes or the methods of the devil of the devil, of Satan. So, Hang with me on this. What does standing look like in the midst of all the temptations, in the midst of all the broken world system in which we live? What does standing look like? I hope that standing looks like the yellow house. worn in Pam Adams, after Hurricane Rita in 2005, endured the winds and the waves that crashed all around them. Wiping out every home. Can you imagine the yellow house? That builder is the one I want to build my house. Who am I standing against? The Bible says I'm standing against the devil. Well, well what am I standing against? I'm standing against his schemes, His ways and means of getting at me, the schemer, uh, the penultimate schemer. I mentioned that word scheme is mentioned only two other times, or only one other time in Scripture. And it's in the book of Ephesians. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. It says there, so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro. Think of the yellow house, tossed to and fro. It's standing It's not being tossed. We talked about this last week. This is what grounded and rooted in Christ looks like. That I'm not tossed by every wave and wind of doctrine. By human cunning, that's the world systems in which we live that's broken and telling us lies all the time. And by the crafty, deceitful schemes. The crafty, deceitful schemes. That adversary, that devil, he is out in craftily, deceitfully trying to lure us in, tempting us, drawing us, torturing us even at times. Listen, the ways of Satan, they will always cost us more than we want to pay, take us further than we want to go, and keep us longer than we want to stay. And just the reality that needs to set in on us as we're making choices and decisions we're letting the world systems shape us and shape our next generation and even set the priorities of our family and telling us that you need to do this if you're going to do this and you need to look like this if you're going to be like this. That's all a part of a world system in which we live and that if we're not careful when you've got the, the, the deceitful schemer manipulating the world in which we live, then you have a weak self over here. We are in the trifecta. So how do we understand the workings of Satan? This is a message about Jesus, I promise you, at the end of the day. But we need to understand the enemy. Two schemes, if you will, of Satan, two scheme themes of Satan is we need to understand that Satan has a strategy and he has a structure. He has a strategy and he has a structure. Now, he's going to do everything he can to lure us in. He may literally take a person who struggles with addiction and move from one addiction to another, addictive personalities. You'll find people who have experienced deep scars and wounds in their life, end up the wounded becoming the wounder. Yes, they are a victim of the past, but they take that victim experience and they inflict it onto others in all of the brokenness of our world. The person who has emotions that gets out of control, blows up, but then can't seem to rein it in. It's a person who's lured in. And literally literally using that example ephesians talks about in chapter 4 verse 27 that we should not give opportunity to the devil it's literally talking about anger here that literally we could give opportunity now i want you to hang on this for just a moment okay that literally what that word opportunity is in the greek is the word topos and it means place like think of a topography map that you're you're looking at a map and you're looking at elevations that I'm literally opening up a corner of my life, a crevice of my life, a thoughts of my life, the emotions of my life, the experiences of my life. I don't have to give him all, hey, listen, Satan's okay if you come to church. He's okay if you're in a Bible study. He's okay if you journal. He's okay if you listen to KLRC. He's okay with all of that as long as he can have a little part of your life. If he can just have a little part of your life, he'll use the little part that you give him, the opportunity, the topos, the place of your life. If you just give him that part, then he's fine with that. And he will begin to manipulate and work in your life from that space, from that topos. So we've got to understand that there is an attempt Accuser, there is an adversary, and that he is here, and he's real. In fact, as 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 in Acts chapter ten, Peter is talking, is sharing the gospel with Cornelius. It literally talks about the tyranny, the 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 occupation, if you will, that Satan and his demonic forces can have. And now, so you hear people talk about possession. I want to uh, I want to warn you about oppression. That that is as real as possession and that we need to be aware of it. The structure, what kind of structure does he have? There's a strategy, there's a structure. What kind of structure does he have? He has an army, that's his structure. And he's scheming up these evil themes losing, using the army. Look at verse 11. Timmy read this earlier. Um, let's look at verse 11 of chapter uh, chapter 6. It says, and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against rulers, notice the plural, against rulers and against authorities and against powers over this present darkness against forces of evil in the heavenly places. What is that talking about? You've got us fighting against rulers, against authorities, and that's in the plural, and we've got powers, that's in the plural, against spiritual forces, in the plural, in heavenly places. It's like, what's going on here? Yes, there is a battle raging, and Satan may be the kingpin, but he has many minions, And these are the forces. This is the army. Now, uh, Ed Ed Murphy has uh, written probably the most exhaustive book on spiritual warfare. If you you want to really dive into this, pick his book up. He said this about verse 12. Verse 12 is without a doubt one of the most remarkable verses in the entire Bible on spiritual warfare. And I'm going to give you that much time to it. But I just want to point out, because we don't know fully what this means. Uh, When you go back to that verse, can you pop, pop, pop that verse back up there? We don't know if these authorities, if these cosmic powers, if these spiritual forces, we don't know, is this a hierarchy? Is this like captains and sergeants and majors and colonels and lieutenant colonels? We don't know if it's that or if we don't know if it's like branches of his army. The Bible doesn't define it. We get nothing else on it. This is it. The only time pops into scripture, and then it's gone away. But if we believe in the authority of scripture, then there's some kind of a structural element to the armed forces. And again, we only have to look at Mark chapter five, and we see that there was a legion in one person. Um, a legion is six thousand soldiers. Strategy. He has a structure. He has a strategy. It is war. He's coming. And he's coming for keeps. The word wrestle is used in verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against. And it lists out those powers. So what is this wrestling? It's a hand-to-hand combat. This one word is not used any other way else in the scriptures. And it's wrestling. It's fighting. It's hand-to-hand combat. It is no holes barred. It's not MMA where you can tap out. It is all in Now, you might think, Mike, oh, we stopped, uh, time out. We're talking a whole bunch about the devil, and this is a church, right? And I know that we can be tempted in one direction or the other. We can either overemphasize and make everything about the demons of the world. The demons are in the dandelions of your front yard. you got a flat tire, the demon's in your tire. The demons are everywhere. People do that, overemphasize. Or we can underemphasize which is also a scheme of Satan, where, where we live in ignorance. And this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, so that we would not be outwitted, he's the deceiver, by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. This is an attempt today to lay a foundation that if you want to go deeper, you can go as deep and as wide as you want to go. But I wanted to just lay the foundation that Satan is real. There is an army. There is a strategy. There is a structure. We don't want to fully understand the structure. We just know it is there. And we need to be aware. We do not need to be ignorant. If You want to read a book that just as a, a bit of a novel, if you will, uh, read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. A, a, a phenomenal story that you'll have to really continue to exercise your mind as you're reading it because the enemy in the story, the enemy, it's literally in a capital E pronoun. It is, it is, it is God. God is the enemy of the Screwtape Letters. Screwtape is a high ranking demon, demon, and then you have uh, Wormwood, who the letters are written to, it's one letter after another written to to Wormwood, training this young demon how to be a better demon. And so, when I read this, understand that this is Screw Tape writing to Wormwood, but it's one of the tools of Satan. He said this. It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality. Our best work is done by keeping things out. If we don't think about the things of God, if we don't see the spiritual warfare, if we'll just ignore it and just excuse it as just just a mere accident of life, the reality is Satan is at work and we do not want to be ignorant of his designs, which then leads me to number two. Satan has a means and an end. He's going somewhere with this. He's aiming somewhere, and I realize the next three statements I'm going to make could be full-length series of messages in and of themselves, and they should be. The next three statements I'm going to make is also going to hit some of you very, very personal. Hear me as your pastor and your friend I want to walk with you through this. Because it's very real every single day of our life, and you may be here today and you may be on this third one tomorrow and you may be in the second one three years from now what is the the means and the end in which Satan is at work one is he is a tempter again a whole series of messages can be delivered on this, but just I want you to just realize in the in the grand scheme of god's story that the Bible begins in the Old Testament, and the Bible begins in the New Testament almost the same way. It begins with a very big display of God in the beginning, and he created the world, he created everything, and then it moves to Adam and Eve's temptation, chapter one, chapter two, then chapter three. You go to the New Testament and you find this great big work of God whenever through the virgin birth uh, 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 Jesus is born into the world. The incarnation comes onto this earth. Again, as much as the creation of the world is an incredible act of God, so that God comes to man born of a virgin is an incredible act of God. But chapter 4 of Matthew begins with the temptation. In your own time, I want you to study chapter 3 of Genesis. I want you to study chapter 4 of Matthew. And I want you to see how Jesus deals with temptation and how, 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 how Adam and Eve deal with temptation. They're in a perfect garden. There's no sin. They have every fruit of the tree, everything that is available to them except for one tree. Satan tempts them. He's crafty, it says in the scripture. He tempts them. He comes after them. It says this in Genesis 3.1. He says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast in the field, and the Lord has made, and he, uh, and he said to the woman, did God actually say? Did God actually say? We need to understand that Satan uses lies to attack the mind. Satan uses lies to attack your mind, to begin to cause you to doubt, and to really wonder what truth is begins to tear it down, did God actually say? Did he mean that when he said that? Oh, surely he didn't mean that for you. He meant that for other people. That's an old old book. Whenever you start breaking down and doubting God about what he said, you're setting yourself up for creating an opportunity, a little wedge, a little space for Satan to move in to your corner of thinking that he will begin to attack your mind and tear down truth. Now, Eve responds to Satan's temptation by saying, no, God actually said this. And actually, note this, she doesn't say what God said. She actually alters what God says. Again, you got some reading to do this week. But Then you come over to Jesus in the New Testament. He's not in a beautiful garden. He's in the wilderness. He's not eating from every tree of the garden. He's fasting. He doesn't have cover of, uh, of foliage. He's in the desert. He's in a horrible situation. He doesn't face one temptation and fall. He faces three temptations and stands. And every single temptation that he faced he quotes scripture right back at Satan. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, chapter 6, verse 13, chapter 6, verse 16. And then you have the beautiful statement of Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. And then Satan left him. And the angel came and ministered to him. Let that sink in. When I'm able to resist the tempter, I will experience seasons, moments, of, of freedom, and the, and the Spirit of God and the angels of God can minister to me in that state of mind. So Satan uses lies to attack the mind. What is the antidote? The antidote to a lie is the truth of God. You've got to got to, got to, got to have the Scripture here and here. I'll say this as clear as I can. If you do not have a regular Scripture memory and meditation and reflection, your mind is going to be changed. It's going to be morphed. It's going to be manipulated, and you will begin to believe falsehoods. You've got to anchor it in Scripture. Basic. Christianity 101, blocking and tackling. This is what this is. Matthew chapter, uh, excuse me, Psalm 119 verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Would you read that with me? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let's say it again. I have stored up... Again... This week, that's your memory verse. Tomorrow, you're just gonna focus on I have stored up your word. You're just gonna drill that phrase into your life as much as you can. And there's so much more to that. And you're just gonna add on a phrase, add on a phrase, and add on a phrase as you continue to go and let it become a part of your life. There's also another role that Satan plays. And again, every one of these could be a series in itself is he's not only the tempter, he's also the tormentor. He's the tormentor. You find it in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 4, when he torments Saul. You find it in the story of Job, in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we're not even dealing with that in this series of messages. But you find a situation when Job goes, uh, excuse me, Satan goes before God, again, playing out uh, what we talked about the very first week of this. He's going and he is accusing Job being weak in his faith and, and following him only because you're blessing me and all that kind of stuff. And again, what happens is he sways and talks to and God allows, I know there's a lot of theology in that, right, statement right there, but he allows for Satan to move in. But here's the thing about what Job does. Job did not sin. Job did not sin. I want to tell you one more, Joseph. Joseph was a person who came from an incredibly dysfunctional family. I mean, you read the story. We had a whole series of messages just on being trafficked, being abused, being by his own family. And this is what it said in the epitaph of Joseph's life in Genesis chapter 49, verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by spring. His branches run over the wall. Job did not sin. He stayed in there. He didn't let the tormentor have the foothold. Joseph remained faithful even when temptation was in his face. And this is a statement that may be very hard to swallow, but I have found it to be true so many times. It's doubtful whether God can use a person greatly until he has hurt them deeply. None of us like the pains of life. The antidote to our suffering is God's grace. Whenever you look at Paul himself in the New Testament, you find in Second Corinthians chapter 12, Therefore so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So that I could not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pled to the Lord three times that He would take it away from me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ may reside in me. This is the reality that, man, we're going to be. Faced with lives and the troubles and the pains. And God's not going to always take it away. We pray three times, 33 times. He may not take it away. The the, The tormenting is happening. What do you do with that? You look for the grace of God. The antidote to suffering is God's grace. This past week, I've taken quite a bit of time to just reflect in different seasons and moments of my life. And I could put a flag in the ground when I was 21. I can put another flag in the ground when I was 31. I could put another flag in the ground when I was 38 and 49 and 53. And I can point to epic moments of tormenting, of pain, that I'm questioning God. But I can also say, as sure as I am standing before you today, his grace was sufficient to get me through it. Satan is a tormentor. In a broken world, he will torment. He is a tempter. He is also a terminator. Satan uses destruction to attack our lives. He does it in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says he comes to see, as a thief to steal, kill, and to destroy. And he doesn't care what he's to kill, still and destroy. It could be life. It could be character. It could be marriage. It could be your career. It could be so many other things. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. It's going to be there. But the antidote to that is turning in that destruction to the life giver. Because in John ten ten, 10, it goes on to say, but Jesus came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. I want to give you bonus content today because here's the reality. Most people end their life story right there. They feel beaten. They feel tempted. They, they see the dumpster fire that maybe they created themselves. They feel all of that and they think, where's their hope? I feel attacked. I feel pressure from every side. Where's their hope? The hope is this. And Satan may have a strategy and a structure. Satan may have a means and an end, but we have a Savior and a Lord. And we need to walk in that because here's what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. Remember, we just read about them. He disarmed them, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Would you read that out loud with me again? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. God gives us the victory. Jesus gives us the victory. He's our Savior, rescuing us out of this. Remember, I talked about earlier us choosing the way of uh, 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 and walking in the sons of disobedience. Remember that verse, Ephesians chapter one and two, Ephesians chapter two, verse one and two. Now you got to look at chapter. 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, "But but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, in which we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Here's the trifecta. We've seen the trifecta of evil. Let's talk about the trifecta of God. It is his mercy, it is his love, and it is his grace. And by that, he saves us. He rescues us. Not just for eternity, but even right here in the life in which we live. Next Sunday, we're going to be having a baptism, and you're going to hear of some God stories, of God rescuing people, mercy, grace, love, coming into their life. Satan is an adversary. We have an advocate in Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, read it out loud with me. I want you to hear the word of God. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I want you to hear that. Because what Satan wants you to hear, again, falsehood, lies, tempting, he's wanting us to believe, false truth or false narrative. He's wanting us to say, God doesn't love you. He won't accept you. He doesn't want you a part of your life. You're racked up, jacked up because of you and all that kind of stuff. He wants to shame us. He wants to, uh, to throw that back in our face. But what is, what is God doing through Jesus? He's advocating for us. He's not accusing us. He's advocating for us. My friends, as Roman 8 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? This man came into my office this week. I call him a young man because he was uh, approaching 40 and I'm well past that. And so the older I get, the younger 40 gets. Man comes to me and, and I won't go into, it's his story. He can share it in his own time, but riddled and layered with shame and darkness. And it was just a beautiful God moment when I opened up First John chapter 1, verse 9. Let him read it, and it re- reads like this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that young 40-year-old man in my office claimed it, gave himself to following Jesus. And when it was over, his tears of sorrow and shame turned to tears of joy and happiness. He will not be baptized next week because he's going to be out of town. But in the weeks ahead or in the next time we do it, he will be baptized. The point I'm trying to make, don't let Satan shame you, torment you. Don't let the abuse and the pain of the past be what defines you into the present. You have an advocate in Jesus Christ. And he is wanting to give you the victory. He is destroying the enemy. We will live in victory and we will live from victory if you have a relationship with Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? I know this has been a heavy message. The reality is, it is a heavy reality in which we live. And some of you who are caught up in the tempter's snare, some of you have faced deep pain that you would call torture in your soul, in your mind, in your body. I want to say, you have an advocate. You have an advocate. You have a friend. You have a Lord, you have a Savior who wants to weep when you weep, who wants to set you free when you're held captive. Will you give yourself to him now? Would you, maybe if you're a believer and you've been living in that torment, that you would right now say, Jesus, I need your healing touch in my life so that I can live in victory. I don't want Satan to control. I don't want Satan to consume. I don't want Satan to hold me captive to be free, Jesus. In you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, this is your space, your time. We we're here looking, longing for you because you are our victor and we trust you now in Jesus name. Would you stand and would you declare that today? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.